Welcome to Realty Bites, conversations on real estate and lifestyle, the podcast where we dive into the world of real estate and explore the intersection between our homes and our lives. I'm your host, Evelyn, and I'm so excited to be here today as we focus on first-time homebuyers. Through my 35 years of experience as a realtor, I've seen firsthand how a home can really transform people's lives. It's more than just a place to live. It's a place to build memories, to create traditions, to establish roots, and to build a community, and also to build your wealth. And that's what we're here to talk about in today's podcast. Buying a home, especially your first home, can be somewhat challenging, but having insight into the process the tips that can help you along the way really is priceless. Today, we're speaking with Kyle Cole, who is a mortgage specialist with BMO, which is the Bank of Montreal. Kyle is very knowledgeable about the mortgage process and very enthusiastic. And today, we're going to be sharing some great information on ways in which first-time homebuyers can get into the housing market, from what you need to know, how to get it, and the cost involved. So whether you yourself are thinking about buying your first home, or perhaps you know someone who is, tune in in today's podcast so that you can learn some great, valuable tips and share them with people that you know and love. So welcome, Kyle. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day to join us today. Thank you so much for having me, Evelyn. I'm very excited to be a part of this podcast. So before we dive in, can you maybe share a little bit about yourself, about your position with BMO? and a little bit about how you can help buyers. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've been with Bank of Montreal for just about six to seven years now, uh, doing mortgages for about five. Mm -hmm. So from start to finish, the whole mortgage process, making sure the most important part is your lawyer getting the money at the end of the day. Uh, So I've uh, been working with the Bank of Montreal in a few different roles, mainly going down the mortgage route. Uh, So I'm a mobile mortgage specialist all across the GTA. So anywhere from Toronto, even all the way over to Niagara. Uh, We do deal with all of Canada. That is definitely possible. But specifically, I like to meet my clients. So within the GTA is generally a little bit better. Okay, great. So uh, you're you're flexible and you care, you cover a wide range of uh, locations. Fantastic. So as a mortgage mobile specialist, that means you can actually go to the client. They don't have to go to the branch. So it makes it really convenient and easy for them. Absolutely. So we can go to them wherever they are uh, available 24 seven. So personally, I don't like getting calls at one or two in the morning, but right. definitely always willing to if uh, if client never needs help. Okay, great. So In today's really evolving economy, what do you see as the biggest obstacle to first-time buyers as they're trying to get into the market? Yeah, great question. Um, A lot of younger borrowers specifically, they like to jump into some sort of debt, whether it's uh, student debt, which sometimes can be hard to avoid. Uh, But the main one is car loans specifically. It's really tough once you do go to apply for a mortgage, being a younger person having that car loan, because it really affects the numbers in terms of getting approved. But also on the other end is the savings portion. So of course, getting out of school, getting a job right away, having to pay off some student loans, it can be very difficult to start to save as you do have some sort of debt to slowly pay off. And having a down payment available is the first step to being able to purchase your first home. Right. And just so our listeners can get a little bit more comprehension of 
of what is required in terms of down payments. What is the minimum amount that someone would need in order to purchase a house? Yeah, great question. It really depends on the purchase price of the property. So generally the rule of thumb is minimum 5%. However, if you are purchasing a property for more than 500,000, it would be 10% on that extra amount. So for example, to run through the numbers, just say you buy a property for 600,000. So you would need 5% of the first 500,000, which would be $25,000. And then it would be 10% on the remaining amount over the 500,000. So it'd be 10% on that extra $100,000. So total minimum of $35,000. Plus there are other costs such as closing costs that the bank always want to make sure that you do have as well. Okay. And is there a rule of thumb as to how much money they're looking for closing costs? Yeah. So Bank of Montreal, for example, we generalize it and generally it is an overestimate. So we take a look at 1.5% of the purchase price specifically. So if we go back to that same scenario, uh, 1.5% of 600,000, that would be an additional about $9,000 that you would have to have saved. Now, keep in mind, of course, when we're talking about first time home buyers, they do have the $4,000 rebate that is fantastic. So that can definitely lower the costs a little bit. Okay. And so does the bank take that into consideration when they're looking at uh, their numbers? Yeah, absolutely. So what happens is in the background, we code the client based on the purchase that they're making. So for example, first time home buyers, we will code them as that. And that will give them ability to use any RSPs, which we can talk about in, in a little bit to help towards their down payment. Plus the fact that they will be getting that rebate, that will definitely be taken into consideration for sure. So if they are getting the rebate, then they could have slightly less than the 1.5% and the bank would be okay with that. Yes, absolutely. Okay, awesome. Can you share with us the two different ways in which uh, someone can buy a house? Yes, absolutely. So there's the, the first way, which is much harder, is cash. Having all the cash available for your full purchase, that means you do not need bank financing. You do not need to go to a bank and ask a lender for funds. Uh, you just go directly with your realtor, say you're going to pay cash when it comes to the lawyer. They will know you bring, bring the bank draft to them the day of closing. Everything's good to go and straightforward. Uh, the other way is financing through a bank or a lender. So going over the, the deposit amount. So of course, minimum of 5% plus extra if it's over 500,000. Uh, but if you're putting 20% down, that means your mortgage is not default insured. Uh, so financing through a bank or lender would be okay. the other way. Okay, great. And so anytime somebody needs financing, which is most of us, right? That's where you would be working with a mortgage specialist like yourself to get that financing in place. And it's really important. You know, we always talk about getting that in place before you start looking, right? Can you maybe share some of the reasons why someone should get pre-approved before they start looking? Yeah, absolutely. It's always, always, always get pre-approved. You don't want to work with a realtor right away off uh, off the jump without having a pre-approval in place because you don't know what your purchase price is. Mainly the way I like to operate is I don't like to waste anyone's time. So being prepared beforehand, it really helps both yourself and your realtor get out in the market and see what is available within your budget. Um, Pre-approvals are generally just like a budget based. With that being said, 
the numbers, the way they always work out is you can get approved for a certain amount, doesn't mean you can necessarily afford it. So it's very, very, very important that you as a team, whether it's a single buyer or even a couple, uh, to go walk through your own personal budget to make sure that is this payment going to be affordable for me when we do in fact put the offer in on the house. Right. I, I totally agree with you. So the bank may say, yeah, we're willing to give you X amount of dollars. I always like to sit down with the purchaser and say, okay, based on this X amount of dollars for your mortgage, now you have some other costs that you're going to incur monthly. You're going to have your, you know, your utilities to look after. You're going to have uh, taxes that you want, you need to budget in there. You're going to have to, you know, buy food for your family, you know, and things like that. So you want to put all those numbers together and say, do I feel comfortable with this? So the bank may be willing to give you this much, but maybe you only feel comfortable paying a lower amount. So what we can do is starting with the bank, we find out how much the maximum is that you're allowed to to get a mortgage for. So let's just say it's 800,000. And at 800,000, this is your monthly payments. And at these payments and this price range, this is what you can afford. So you go and you look at the house, you go, my God, I love this house, but I don't mm -hmm. feel comfortable with these payments. So then Absolutely. we look at 750. And you look at the house, and you go, I really like this house. And yeah, I feel comfortable with these payments. So you know, that's a good price range to be in. And then maybe you look at 700 and you go, I don't like this house. The payments are yeah. easy, but I don't like this house. So mm -hmm. having that financing in place and working with the numbers in conjunction with the property and mm -hmm. based on area, it's going to give you different options. Uh, putting those together will give you a solid basis from which to start working on so that you mm -hmm. have a house that is going to suit your needs long term. I always say, don't buy a house and tell me you're going to sell it in a year. That's not a good strategy. No. You want to be able to stay there at least three to five years, build some equity. So you want a house that's going to grow with you in a good location. That's going to give you good uh, resale value. And you want to have a house that you can afford monthly so that you're not stressed out. Because the worst thing for people is to be so stressed financially. It's just mm -hmm. not a good place to be. Now, having Absolutely. said that, and going back to what you said at the beginning, the hardest part for most people, especially first-time buyers, which is what we're talking yeah. about today, is getting that down payment in place. Yes. And so the down payment, just to clarify, is the amount of money that a buyer has to put towards the purchase price. So if they were buying a house for 800000 and let's just say they had $100,000 saved up they would be looking mm -hmm. for financing on basically 700,000, yes. right? And it's getting that first down payment amount that's challenging. So um, maybe you can share some different ways in which first-time buyers can try to get that down payment together. Absolutely, absolutely. So there's three main ways uh, that clients can help supplement their down payment. Uh, the first one, I'm gonna go from easiest to more on the challenging or difficult end. So the first one being gift. So the banks do accept gifts from family members, relatives, anything like that um, to help supplement their down payments. So what happens is on the bank's end, we do have to have the gifter, the person giving the gift to the home home buyer, uh, we do have to have them in, sign an engaged letter, basically saying that it's a non-repayable gift. So this is essentially a gift to help purchase and that's it. It's not repayable in any way because that would technically then end up being a loan, 
quote unquote. So that could affect the numbers in terms of getting approved. Nowadays, what I've noticed is a lot of the younger buyers, they are getting help from family in some sort of way. Um, it's needed, especially if you look in the market around the GTA area to come right out of school and work for one or two years. It is nearly impossible to get into the market unless you have little to no debts coming out. And then you go the default insurance option where you put less than 20% down. That's really the main clientele that I've seen, unless you do get help from a gift or even a co-signer. Um, so that's is the first way that's pretty straightforward. Now, the next two ways are a lot more difficult. The reason I say that is because you essentially are going to be kind of leveraging yourself in terms of putting yourself into more debt to supplement your down payment to then get into the market. So of course, it is a long term game, you do want to be in real estate for the long term. So you want to build up that equity over time. And, and this could help, of course, timing the market is nearly impossible all the time, as we've seen with COVID, the the roller coaster ride of housing prices, uh, but definitely getting into the market earlier, although you are going to be leveraging, could benefit you in the long term. So the second option is borrowing from your own types of line of credits to then supplement your down payment. So now the positives are, of course, you're getting into the housing market. You're no longer having to pay rent. You're putting money into equity into your own property. Definitely the biggest pro in, in terms of this process. Uh, the con could be potentially is overextending yourself. So this is where that the budget really comes into play is you're going to have to realize that now that you're buying your own property, you have your own mortgage payment, you have your property taxes, your utilities, you have insurance, there's so much to it, you know, if something goes wrong, you're going to have to pay for it as well. On top of that, just say uh, a client takes out a loan through the bank or even from their own line of credit of 20 to $25,000 to supplement, there's going to be a payment on that as well. So that could be a negative in terms of when clients overextend themselves. Uh, so that would be the second way. The third way is kind of difficult, but also a same, same as a long-term strategy. So for example, what the Bank of Montreal uh, offers is what's called an RRSP loan. So you could get a, a loan up to $35,000 if you've never put any money into your RSP to use as part of first-time home buyers. So how it works is you would first apply for this loan. All the money would go into your RSP. Now, keep in mind, the big benefit of this is you're going to be putting a large lump sum that year into your RRSP. So come tax season, you could get quite a bit of hefty tax return, maybe eight to $10,000, depending on your income, that you could flip and put right back into that loan if possible. The good thing about these loans is they're spread out over a long 15 years. So the payment can be really affordable rather than using a line of credit, which the payment could be, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars a month. Uh, so, for example, uh, a about a twenty five thousand dollar RSP loan over 15 years, the payment is roughly about I think it was about ninety five dollars biweekly. So definitely very manageable when considering these costs, especially if you don't have enough of a down payment. Um, now, going back to the RSP loan, the reason why it makes it so difficult part of the first time home buyers which you can do after 90 days uh, when putting the money into the RSP, you will have to pay that back over the next 15 years as well. So what makes this difficult is just say you go through this whole RSP loan process. Now, before you bought your house, you don't have any payments. 
now you bought your house. You have your mortgage payment now, property taxes, everything that comes with it. You have the RSP loan that you will have to pay back on a biweekly basis. And lastly, you will have to put money back into your RSPs as part of the first time home buyers process of $35,000 spread out over 15 years. So that would be another annual expense that you would have to calculate. So for example, that would be an extra $2,300 yearly that you would have to put into your RSP again. This is why it, it, it is definitely an option for clients to use although it is a very, very difficult option because you have to run through many different budgets to make sure that you are able to pay back the RSP loan, pay back the money into your RSPs, and then also afford your mortgage payment. Okay, so speaking on that, um, if they were unable to pay that $2,300 at the end of that year, so every year they have to pay one fifteenth of the amount that they take out, so $2,300, if they don't pay that $2,300 that year, they could pay part of it. Is it if they don't pay uh, all of it or part of it, then that part of the income? So say they paid $300 back, but they, they're yeah. missing $2,000. That $2,000 yeah. is added towards their income and they're taxed on it for that fiscal year, correct? I believe so. Yes. When it comes to the the income tax side, that's more of the investment side. That's not mm -hmm. something that I personally yeah. specialize in. This is definitely something to come back to and, and find the answer to for right. sure. And that's something you, they may want to speak to their accountant uh, with, Absolutely. right? Now, yeah. so from the sounds of it, this program would be really, I think, a good option for someone who makes a lot of money, but yes. they just haven't saved a lot of money right? So exactly. the income is coming in, they can afford the, these payments, but they just haven't been able to save, uh, maybe because mm -hmm. they haven't been in the job a long time, or they've just had a lifestyle where they spent their money. And now they're like, okay, uh, I'm going to focus and, and, and get into buying a house. So exactly. again, it, it really depends on who the client is, and what exactly. what best fits them. Now, also a question for them to put in uh, $35,000 in an RRSP loan. Do they yeah. have to have that much room in their RRSP? Yes, absolutely. So definitely something that you have to consider. So before doing anything like this, make sure to go to your CRA website, see what limits you do have for your RRSP. You want to make sure that you're not over contributing. That will lead to more problems when it comes to taxes through the government. And you never want to get in trouble with the government. That's for sure. So now we have a first time home buyer and they have been able to gather their down payment of minimum 5% and they've been able to do that either through their own savings, through, as you mentioned, a gift letter from, uh, it has to be a family member. Generally, yes. The banks yes. do want to make sure that it is because when, when you get into the conversation of, you know, a friend is gifting me money or or this person or whatever need be, then the bank likes to look at it as maybe it's repayable. So then we have mm -hmm. to consider it as a loan. So we, we do prefer that it is some sort of family member or relative. Yes. Okay. So we have our own money. We have a gift letter from a family member. We are tapping into RRSPs that we have already in our account. Or if our income is high enough and the numbers work, we are borrowing to purchase RRSPs, keep them in the account for 90 days, and then pull them out 
to use them towards funds for down payment, right? So those are basically the ways that we can acquire the down payment. The next step is what other types of government programs are available to help first-time buyers? So I know that there's the home buyer's plan, which is the RRSP. We talked a little bit about land transfer tax rebate. So if you're a first-time buyer, you get a land transfer rebate for up to $4,000 within the province of Ontario. If you're buying within the city of Toronto, there's a double cohort tax, which means you pay a land transfer tax to the province and a land transfer tax to the city of Toronto. But the city of Toronto also gives back a $4,000 credit towards first-time home buyers. Is there anything else that can help first-time buyers in terms of the financing when they're purchasing? Yeah, absolutely. So there is an opportunity to buy your first home to be a rental property. Uh, so this is more so for maybe the clientele that the income isn't fully there, but the down payment is there. Because in order for a, uh, a property to qualify as your first-time home buyer, if it's going to be rental, uh, you do need to put 20% down. Because anything default insured, technically the client is supposed to be living in it, or at least living in it after nine months. So that is definitely something to take into consideration. So now the banks, they, they are willing to do uh, your first property as an investment, as a rental. So going back to the whole income, because this could help supplement a client's income, because what the Bank of Montreal does, for example, is we use what's called marketable rent. So now what this would entail is as part of the appraisal, when they're appraising the value, making sure everything's good to go for the banks and make, uh, meeting the bank standard, they can also uh, estimate on how much money or how much rent that this property could take in each month. So whether it's going to be, you know, a single unit or even a first time home buyer where it's a multi-unit. So, you know, a, a upper unit with a legal basement. Those are the types of properties that can definitely help first time home buyers because technically they are going to be living in it. Now, if you have those multi-unit levels where, you know, the client's buying the property, they're going to live in the upper unit and then they're going to rent out the lower unit. You can take advantage of essentially all of these programs all combined in one because they're going to be living in it. You can then put less than 20% down since it will be owner occupied. Plus, we can also use the basement rent as part of what we call the total debt servicing to help all of the numbers in terms of getting approved. So definitely kind of double dipping, triple dipping in many of these different programs, uh, it could potentially help you buy your first home as well. Right. That That's a great thing because a lot of people, they're still having to pay rent where they are, but if they mm -hmm. take the house and they live in part of it, maybe mm -hmm. their rent will be a little bit more. If They could even do it the other way around. They could live in the basement and rent to the yeah. upper part and um, get a little bit more that way. So that, that's a great yeah. uh, option, creative uh, option as well for yeah. first-time buyers to get into the home buying process. So these are some of the programs that are available through institutions such as BMO. There are other programs that are available. It really would depend on your specific situation, such as the first-time home buyer incentive, the Ontario renovation program, and a few others. So the best thing to do is if you're looking to get into the market as a first-time buyer, speak to your mortgage professional, speak to your realtor, speak to your accountant, and uh, you know, open up this world of available financing that you could potentially tap into. Now, for lower income individuals, that 
is also a barrier to getting into the market. We talked a little bit about how you could use rental income to help supplement the amount of money that you have to qualify to purchase that home. Can, and you also mentioned a little bit earlier about using a co-signer to help you show higher income available for that mortgage. Can you talk a little bit about how that works? So the co-signer option is definitely a great one to, to use. So what this can entail is utilizing someone else's income as part of your application to help you get approved. Now, everyone thinks that just because they have a co-signer means that they're going to get approved off the get-go. And this is actually not the case. There's, there's a lot more to it uh, in depth. So for example, what we have to look at is just say me, myself and my fiance, we want to buy a property. It's worth 800000 And based on our incomes, we cannot get approved. So we could then use a family member, you know, a parent as a co-signer. But what happens is we actually take all of their whole financial situation into account as well. So now, although we're adding a third income, what if that person has a car loan? What if they have a large mortgage payment? It really comes down to adding all the numbers together and what we call the total debt servicing to make sure that it all adds up properly. So although co-signer is an option, it, there's a lot more to it in, in depth to make sure that whoever's co-signing, they don't have a lot of debt. They have enough income to help support your situation. Going back full circle as well is one thing to consider. Same scenario, just say we want to buy, me and my fiance want to buy a place of 800000 and our income is nowhere close to getting approved. Now, if we get a co-signer to help us get approved, sure, we're approved. The mortgage is advanced. Who's making the payment? So on paper, we can't afford it. Realistically, based on our salaries, we can't afford it as well. Is that co-signer able and willing to step in to help make the payments as well? Because that's always a miscommunication that people don't understand is although co-signing, they are equally liable for the debt. Now, just making sure going back full circle, whenever it comes to mortgage applications or mortgages in general, budget, making sure that the clients budget properly to know what they're getting themselves into, to make sure that they can afford the payment exactly with the co-signer so they can make sure that they can afford all of their monthly liabilities. That's a very good point, because sometimes all they think about is getting the house, but it's not just getting the house, it's maintaining the house, maintaining those payments. And also, in terms of the co-signer, they have to be knowledgeable that it's going to affect what they can do in the future. So if they are thinking about making a move or buying something, now when they go to buy whatever that something is, they're going to mm -hmm. show that they're also liable for this mortgage, right? And exactly. is there a difference in terms of how the bank looks at it? Is there a difference between co-signing and actually being on title for the mortgage? Or right. is it? So yeah, great question. So whenever a client co-signs, they're on title. They are on the mortgage. Now, from a legal standpoint, there's many different ways uh, on, on that end to kind of do like a 99% and 1% split. That's the whole legal process, which the bank doesn't really care about. Um, the way we look at it is you are on title, you are on the mortgage, you are fully liable for that debt. So going back to that same point is now that co-signer, if they want to go to apply for, for their own new mortgage, now the bank will then have to take into consideration that they are co-signed and equally liable for that debt specifically, which could then affect their numbers on getting approved for a higher mortgage amount too. So there's so many different factors. It's not as easy as just throwing in a co-signer and you're good to go. Uh, there's a lot more to it to talk about. 
Right. So I think from our conversation that we had today, it's saying that really that there are some options for first-time homebuyers, but you really need to look into exactly how those options are going to affect you in terms of how you're going to qualify for them, how you're going to be able to pay for them. But on the positive note is that there are options. You just need to look into them a little bit further, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Always options available. It's just a matter of what option is right for you. Right. And if you were to give a piece of advice to a first time home buyer, what one piece of advice would you want to share? Yeah. Um, honestly, don't overextend yourself from changing from either if you're renting or living with family to then going into automatically having all the expenses. So the perfect example is, is for myself is I lived with my family before and then we just bought a place. Now, people don't generally understand is food. When you're paying for all the food yourself, especially with this inflation, it is not fun. I miss coming home and having a nice home cooked meal. My parents paid for everything's good to go. So being on your own on, on that aspect of things, it can be difficult and you never want to overextend yourself. And I will always go back to the budget. Make sure that you understand your own budget and not overextending yourself. Nobody wants to be what's called house poor, which is everything's going into your mortgage, everything's going into your house and your expenses, where you can't live a life that you want to enjoy. So budget is always, always, always going to be the top priority to make sure that the client can afford it. Okay. So one other way in which first time home buyers can get into the market is to buy a home with somebody like a friend or, or something. So neither of you can afford something on your own, but together you can potentially be able to afford that. So maybe you can speak to how the bank would look at that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just uh, the exact same situation where there's two home buyers going in 50-50 or whatever the split is, again, all, all on the lawyers. end. But definitely buying something with your friend can be a good idea. So now it's the same thing where you want to have that conversation with that person that you're buying the property with is time frame, timeline, and, and life. So now what if one person ends up finding someone and they want to then go and venture out and buy their own place? Now you're going to be stuck on the hook where it's, you're going to have to sell unless there's other situations where refinance, that's a whole different conversation, but time frame now, because you want to make sure that you guys are on the same timeline on when you guys are going to be splitting ways, if you guys are going to be splitting ways and making sure that both of you guys will 100% agree with those decisions that are made. So it can be definitely be very difficult, but it, it does definitely help when it's two incomes kind of coming together on a mutual agreement. Right. And so I've helped a lot of first time buyers who've got into the market that way. Two friends get together, they buy a house. And I always say to them the exact same thing that you have said. And what we've talked about before, we don't buy a house for one year, we buy it for three to five years. So if they're both on that, say three to five year plan, they both feel that they are compatible living together as well. And then what I would do is I would work out exactly what happens if one person wants to go. So they may say, if one person wants to go, the first option is the second person can buy out the first person. If they can't both buy out, then they both agree at that point, the property will be put up for sale and the proceeds will be split. But if you look Absolutely. at it that way, if you stay in the house three to five years, you're more than likely going to make some money 
And you'll have that little bit extra that you made in equity that you can put down on another home. And now maybe you can get into the market on your own. So it's definitely another option. So as we said earlier, there are many different ways that you can get into the market as a first time buyer. Don't lose hope. Just keep plugging away at it. Work on your savings, work on your credit score, try and keep your income good. Maybe take a second job. If you're self-employed, be careful when you're not stating all the income that you earn. Yes, you're paying less taxes, but it's also going to affect you when it comes time to get that mortgage. So take all those things into consideration. Think about what you're wanting to do, such as buy a house and move forward, you know, knowing what your options are and, and how your actions will affect what you can and cannot do down the road. So if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, Kyle, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. So either by phone call, which my direct number is 647-331-8850, or even by email so we can set up a a phone call appointment to make things easier for the both of us, uh, which is kyle.cole, so K-Y-L-E dot C-O-L-E at B-M-O dot com. Okay, that's easy. And uh, there's no cost or obligation to reach out to you. I'm I know Kyle, he is uh, very helpful and would be more than happy to give you your options based on your specific situation. So thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us today. And uh, hopefully we can have you on another episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. If you found this episode helpful or informative, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that we can get the word out to more people. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode.